You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And welcome into Socks in the Basement. My name is Chris Lanuti. Dave doesn't show up on the Saturday shows. You'll see him on Wednesdays where we come out each and every Wednesday, as we have been doing for over two years with Socks in the Basement. This is Socks in the Basement Saturdays. Sometimes it's live. Sometimes it's an in-depth conversation about the team. And today we'll be joined by an old friend. Before I get to that, this show is brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Located on the southwest side of Chicago, Family Waterproofing Solutions covers northern Illinois and northwest Indiana. Anything doing with your foundation, seepage, leaking, basically from ground level down. Family Waterproofing Solutions. Family owned, veteran owned, female owned, portion of the proceeds going to first responders and veteran organizations from every job. They give something to those organizations. Great people over there. Visit them today, famws.com. Tell them Socks in the Basement sent you. You will get a better deal. I promise that, famws.com. And just so you know, we're starting to add some things to SocksInTheBasement.com. Check out the website. Get the ever-popular trucker hat in our brand-new store. The link is right there at SocksInTheBasement.com, plus other great Socks in the Basement swag. Now let's get to our show. I remember the first time I reached out to this guy, Socks in the Basement was brand new. It was a little over two years ago, and, and he was doing his his writings. I think he was with Future Socks at the time, and he was. I, I just liked all the tweets he was putting out. He seemed like he was a smart guy, and I asked him, hey, you want to come on the show? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he was like the first person who was like, who the hell are you and what's Socks in the Basement? And we've had this now for the last couple of years, and I love having him on. I always get compliments from people about the stuff that he talks about on my show and that they like having him on the show James Fox joins me right now. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you? It's like a, it's a good time. It's a good time to do this because they're sole possession of first place. We we weren't having this conversation the first time I talked to you. No, no, not at all. And and you know what's crazy about it is how people should be really excited about it, but like some people are still so stressed out. You know, I mean, this is the yeah. beginning of a very long window, but there are some really angry White Sox fans I'm noticing. And look, we get upset about certain things. I don't like everything that Renteria is doing. There's a few questionable decisions that are being made. I would have liked for them to go out and get a better right fielder last year. But overall, I'm I'm happy with what's going on right now, aren't you? Yeah, I think this is like the best time. The time this is like the bonus year. It's right before your team gets good. I think it's like the best time to be a fan because you like see it coming, right? It is obviously a White Sox podcast and not to bring everything back to the Cubs, but they are local. The 2015 Cubs, you know, you started to see it the second half of that year. They were a year early. I think the Sox are definitely a year early. Shortened season has helped them. Look, I mean, if they had to go 162, like do they have enough pitching to hold up in a normal year? I don't know. Probably not. But like, that doesn't really matter right now. Like this is what it is. They've taken full advantage of it. And when you see all these young stars all over the field and like, yeah, there's, there's issues. There's definitely issues, but like, I don't want to tell anybody how to fan obviously, but it's like, dude, if you can't enjoy this, like what, what can you enjoy? Right. What, you know, like, what do you, what do you been doing? I mean, the baseball that people have sat through for three to four years now 
You know, I mean, I just see like even like you lose one game to the Pirates the other night and it was ugly, right? And but like one one loss to the Pirates, stuff like that happens. Like you're you're gonna lose baseball games sometimes. They're not winning every night. They win most nights. They beat up on bad teams, which is the path for most teams to get to the playoffs. I don't I don't get it, man. I don't. You know, I, I would say most people that I've seen and interacted with have have been extremely positive and excited. But yeah, there's there's your select group. I think even like you know, White Sox Twitter is a dangerous place, but where it's like always something and stuff's like not good enough, and it's destined to fail because you know they won't supplement around it and stuff like that. I like to give a hard time when a hard time needs to be given, and there's things that I haven't liked very much. And we actually rank Ricky Renteria as a. Uh, Dave was laughing at me a couple of weeks ago. He's a he's a negative manager war. He's a negative one is is what I had him at, and, and it's okay to still be critical. That's what it is to be a fan. But I think that there is a little bit of like, people still haven't figured out it's okay to be happy now, which is strange. One of the things I want to get into with you today, a few things. I want to talk about not only what we're looking forward to here with the postseason, but also what's going on in Schaumburg, what this team could viably look like in the offseason and going into next year with either guys they might go and, and chase after or guys that are still down in the pipeline. And, and I'll start off with this question for you because you, you're over there at Future Sox amongst many other places. You're also writing for SI. What do you think about how the Sox handled the trade deadline first? Because the way they handled it to me, it, it seemed to me that it was, hey, this is a bonus year. We're not going to do anything that screws up our long-term plans. Uh, this is a crapshoot with 16 teams in the postseason, and so we're just going to go out there with what we have, and we'll worry about making additions in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I, I do also kind of think that it's a bit of an indictment on their farm system and an indictment on like the way that maybe they've, they've done business a little bit, and some of that goes back to the head of the snake and Jerry Reinsdorf. It's just... I'm sure they would have loved to add a guy like Lance Lynn. But from what I had heard, you know, your big guys like that, even for a year of control, I mean, other teams are asking for Michael Kolpak and, and Andrew Vaughn. And that, that's just like not going to happen, right? Now, if you had a full season and Jonathan Stever was pitching in Birmingham and Matthew Thompson was pitching at Winston-Salem and like maybe they were having really good years and like maybe those guys are back end top 100 prospects, then maybe you could trade a – a Jonathan Stever headline package for Lance Lynn and Lance Lynn's here. But because there was no minor league season, I think it kind of hurt the depth of their system. Now, where I say that it's an indictment on Jerry, if you look at like the Padres, the Padres went out, they made a bunch of moves, but the Padres have a bunch of expendable prospects that they don't need. They draft high school players. They spend every year on the international market. And they just have like all these extra like center fielders and shortstops and all these guys where when you need to go get somebody, like you have a guy that you can trade that is expendable that won't hurt you. The White Sox don't really have that. Like, they can't trade Nick Madrigal. They can't trade Andrew Vaughn. They can't trade Michael Kopech. And the guys after that don't really have enough value to get anybody with control. Now, on the other end of that, could you trade Jonathan Stever to rent, like, a Kevin Gossman for five stars? Sure, but, like, they're not willing to do that either. I think what it says is, they really weren't that interested in rentals. They kind of thought like, you know, you could go out and get a Robbie Ray, but like, is Robbie Ray really like any better than depending on Carlos Rodon and Ronaldo Lopez and finding out what you have? I don't know if it is. I mean, you can make the argument that you could add Robbie Ray for nothing. Okay, sure. But 
clearly wasn't that, and they stood pat. And I don't know exactly what their financial situation was. I don't know whether they were told, like, don't add any money or what. I think the Clevenger talks were real, and the Lance Lynn talks were real too. But it comes down to price at some point, and they just, like, weren't willing to do it for a 60-game season. What I'm gathering from what you're saying there is that essentially other teams have their top-tier prospects, but they have that next tier right behind them and the next tier right behind them and the next tier right behind them where they can mix and match because they have so much depth. And it sounds like the White Sox do have some guys that are very young right now because we've just started drafting some high school players in, in the last year or so. And is that gap going to close? Do you think that the Sox are on a path where eventually they will get to that point? Because I know we've talked before where they kind of they weren't looking for the high school players early on, even though uh, Nick Hostetler wanted to go do that. He knew he had such a depleted minor league system he couldn't. But then it looked like there was a change in the philosophy of the draft recently. Do you think that's a focus now for the Sox that eventually we will have uh, more guys in the system, more more quantity to be able to deal with in the future years? Yeah, I think so. And I think, like, look, you look back on, like, Kenny Williams is always able to make trades with bad prospects, right? Like, he, he would trade guys that never turned into anything, and he would still find a way to get, like, your Jake Peavy's or your Freddie Garcia or whoever. So when these top guys graduate, the Sogs aren't going to have a top 10 farm system anymore. They could stay in, like, that 15 to 20 range instead of bottoming out. That would be good. You have to draft well. You have to spend more internationally. I mean, they've hit on more of their picks, so they have more guys to trade. I think the biggest thing that hit them and hurt them was no minor league season because if you look at, you know, Future Sox, we released our new top 30 last week, and the bottom of that top 30 for, you know, for the first time is, like, super young with guys that have a lot of upside. And then the top is awesome, as everybody knows, but that middle portion where it's, like, prospects 7 through 15 are guys like, you know, Jonathan Stever, like who we mentioned, who 24-year-old right-hander that, you know, now hasn't pitched above high A because there was no minor league season. Now he's the type of guy who could have been a top 100 guy this year. Andrew Dahlquist has some value. Matthew Thompson has some value. They have Jared Kelly now. But without a minor league season, it's like really tough for, like you're not going to get a guy as good as Lance Wynn, even if it is only like 35 starts for something like that. So I think I think that was part of the problem. But I do think going forward, they're in a they're in a much better position. I think they're in the playoffs, basically, as we'll probably talk about here. And I don't know how important seeding is. I don't really think it's that important. I think lining up the pitching is more important than that. And I just kind of think like they thought this is a bonus year. We're going to get in, see what happens, and then they're going to they're going to add at least a little bit in the off season. And if they're good, well, you're going to have those rumors, and you're going to be you know talking about being buyers or adding for the next four or five years. So yeah, I mean, you know, people are going to have to start looking at prospects a lot differently too. That's another part of this is that I saw on Twitter. I think I said, I mentioned that like Lance Lynn would cost like Dane Dunning and Jonathan Stever. And it's like, Oh, we can't trade Dane Dunning. He's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like I like Dane Dunning, like Dane Dunning looks pretty good, but Dane Dunning's 26 years old and has now pitched against the Royals, the Tigers and the Pirates. And, and that's like what guys cost sometimes. So I mean, people are just going to have to like start looking at this like a little bit different. Like, I'm the prospect guy, and I'm fine with trading prospects to win. So now let's talk, before we get into what's going on with this season and the postseason coming up, because I'm going to definitely dive into that with you. For 2021, I think everybody assumes they're going to see Andrew Vaughn, and I think everybody assumes that you're going to have a rotation that likely the starting five are uh, Giolito and Keuchel and Cease and Dunning and Michael Kopech returns. 
besides those two guys, Kopech and Vaughn, who can we expect is going to show up and possibly make an impact for this team in 2021 when I believe that the window is truly open? It's not an experience here anymore. It's go out and, and let's go win a title. It's actually like relievers probably is what I would say. So, I mean, like if you have like you have Tyler Johnson still down at Schaumburg, everybody saw Zach Birdie this year. It didn't go great, but his stuff's back. Jonathan Stevers, a guy who I've mentioned twice already, he's a starter, but I mean, that's the type of guy where he'll, he'll be closer to rule five protection next year. Right. So, so if that's a guy that's pitching well at Birmingham, he could come up and be like a multi-inning reliever for you, or even, you know, maybe even start a little bit. Garrett Crochet next year, I think is a starting pitcher at Winston-Salem or Birmingham. And if he's really good and you're in a playoff race, like, that's a lefty out of your bullpen, potentially. They don't really need position players to come up. Like, we saw Luis Gonzalez this year. Like, he could be, he could be a bench guy on the team. I think Zach Collins will probably be back. I do think they're, you know, they're going to need to add from outside the organization this offseason. I think that's imperative. Like, I know everybody's heard about Jerry being broke, um, and, I, you know, I feel real bad for him, but, you know, they got, they, they got like 45 million coming off the books, man. Like they got to, and look, I'm not, I, and I don't think anybody's expecting George Springer and Trevor Bauer. Like, I, you know, come on. Like, I don't, I just, you know, that's fine to like not expect that. Like the White Sox operate the way they do. And that's cool. But I mean, I think they're in the starting pitching market for sure. Like I don't feel comfortable going into next season, counting on, Dane Dunning, Michael Kopech, and Dylan Cease. Like, I'm fine with two of them, the two of those three that, like, pitched the best, in addition to Giolito Keiko and maybe a free agent, maybe a Marcus Stroman or just go get Quintana back or something, something like that. And I think they're going to have to do something about right field. I, I don't think it's a ton of internal help, like, as the system shifts here a little bit. I do think Vaughn's in the majors next year, Madrigal's in the majors, two former uh, – top five picks that are like already like part of this thing. But I mean, after that, I think the system gets, gets pretty young to the point where like some pitchers could probably come up and help you, but there's not really anybody on the position side yet. That's the thing that that's, what's going to have to get rebuilt here over the next like five years or so with, with high picks. What about Jake Berger? I mean, is this something where he, even though I know he got set back for a while, but is this a guy that could eventually end up on the team? Or do you think he's a guy that he's a long way away from even considering that? Yeah, so I actually forgot about you. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park and New Lenox, a work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, with a sister store available to you at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. So I saw Jake Berger and Sean. Jake Berger looked pretty good. Um, he He's playing third. He looks fine. Hitting, he looks fine. So I think he's healthy. I just don't know... 
like what the plan is. Like he's rule five eligible in December. He's healthy. So they're probably going to have to protect him. And he's never played higher than a ball. So the minor leagues are similar. I would think he probably goes to high A or Birmingham. If he does what he's supposed to do, then yeah, like maybe you move him quickly because, you know, he was a college hitter and this year was kind of weird and whatever. I'm just not sure where he plays on this White Sox team. He's talked about playing other positions a little bit. I don't know if that means first base. I did an interview with Gavin Sheets last week, and he's not even in Schaumburg, but he's he says he feels comfortable like playing in the outfield. So that's like what he's been doing. He lost a bunch of weight, and he's like trying to make himself more marketable, and he's playing the outfield. Andrew Vaughn has taken third base, third base reps and outfield reps like in Schaumburg because, I mean, Jose Abreu is at first. So I, I think it's fluid with some of those guys. But you're right. I do think, like, Berger I don't think is a guy that has a ton of trade value, like, right now. But maybe he would if he, like, was awesome at Birmingham or something next year. That's a natural thing where you might have a player that starts off in the outfield because the guy in front of him at the position hasn't moved out of the way. If I'm not mistaken, Chris Bryant was basically an outfielder for a while. Jose Ramirez, who plays third base for the Indians, started in the outfield first. It wouldn't be shocking if, I mean, I know we all want them to go out and get a free agent outfielder for right field, but it wouldn't shock me if they didn't say, guess who's the right fielder next year, Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would be a little surprised because I'm not sure he can play there, but yeah, like it shouldn't be one of these things where, yeah, like nobody should be surprised that they're trying to, to do that. Now, the other thing, the other weird thing is second base. Like, I think Madrigal is going to be here. I think he offers something that they don't have. But what a lot of systems or and a lot of, you know, player development people have done lately is they, they try to get as much offense as possible at second and just shift around, like, the defense. So, like, Moustakis plays second and Cincy. So they're doing that with, like, a lot of prospects now. The Sox have a, a Cuban third baseman, shocker, right, that he, a Cuban third baseman, named Brian Ramos down in the very lower levels of their system. And he hit very well last year in Arizona, um, in the rookie Arizona league, they're going to transition him to second. And at first I was like, you know, that's a little, you know, a little weird. It's a little interesting, but if he's passable at second, the bat plays much better there than it does at third. And with all the shifting, I think teams kind of think now like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this will work. Like Berger looks, like 25 pounds lighter, like maybe maybe Berger is somebody's second baseman on a high on a team that can shift a ton. Like maybe that's doable. I don't I don't know if it is, but you know that's like something to watch too. It's like kind of like football is like gone a little bit positionless, and basketball definitely has. Like maybe baseball does some of that type stuff too with all the shifting on the infield. That is an interesting point there. Very interesting. All right, so James Fox sitting there with me, and we already touched on it this week here on Socks in the Basement, and I saw you talking about something very similar. We basically said in our last episode, forget the rest of this season, focus on the postseason at this point. Make sure your rotation is set up. It's only a three-game series. You've lost all four three-game series against the Indians and Twins so far. They're going to be ready to go after you. You need to make sure that you have your best guys ready to go, one, two, three, in the rotation. Your relief staff that you need rested, rested. This Cubs series does not matter very much. Do the White Sox start by moving Keuchel around now because he's on the injured list, and maybe he misses the Minnesota start because you could start him on the weekend, and then he'd be in line to be your game one or game two starter if you started him that Saturday or Sunday after the Minnesota series. Or 
do they still want to be competitive now and then just skip starts in that last series against the Cubs when it's all said and done? Yeah, so I, I think what they're going to do, and I just wrote about this, like I would have skipped Giolito this weekend personally and then, and then lined him up. Like if you put Giolito on Tuesday 929 for that playoff game and work your way backwards, that was probably the best way. But like Gio is kind of weird. Like he doesn't, it's not weird, but he, you know, he doesn't like extra rest. So he's slated to go Friday against the Tigers. And now it looks like it's going to be Lopez probably Saturday. My guess is they do some sort of like bullpen game Sunday, which lines you up for a four gamer at home against the twins. You can go cease Dunning, Giolito, Keuchel in those four games against the twins next week. So then you're kind of giving Minnesota your best shot with your top four guys, and then you reevaluate at that point because you're going to Cincinnati. So I think Friday 9-18 against the Reds, that's probably Lopez or another like to be announced like type thing, and then you can pitch Cease and Dunning that weekend. Um, and then I think you push um, Giolito and Keiko all the way to – the end of the Indian series, which is probably like six days rest, I think for each of them or five, five days rest. It's the sixth day. So then you start Giolito on nine twenty three at Cleveland, Keiko at nine twenty four on Cleveland. And then you just sit them for the Cubs series and have them ready for the playoffs. Now that's not necessarily what I would have done, but it looks like that's probably what they're going to do based on like what they're, you know, with their days off right here. Cause Keiko, Keiko's eligible to come off Thursday. Will he? I don't know. I think that game's probably a little more important than him pitching in Cincy, but, you know, I guess we'll see. How much of a difference do you think it makes between what you think they're going to do and what you probably would have liked him to do? Does it really screw up Giolito if he gets that extra rest? Is there anything that kind of shows that, or is that just a preference thing with him? I don't know. I think it's a preference thing, and I think I just would I just would have done it now because, like, like maybe they could probably beat the Tigers, like just throwing bullpen days or, you know, you let <laughs> – yeah. Bernardo, let Bernardo throw it, Flores throw three, and Gio Gonzalez throws two, and then you hope you have the lead type thing. But, I mean, keeping him on regular rest, I guess it just depends on what, what their priority is. So it looks like they are going to get him. He's going to start Friday against the Tigers. Hopefully that's a win. And then he'll get a start against Minnesota, a start against Cleveland, um, you know, and then he sits. I mean, if he pitches Wednesday, September 23rd, against Cleveland um that's five days rest and then he pitches on the sixth day in the playoff that Tuesday playoff game so you know that's an extra day of rest he doesn't love it but he's gonna have to he's gonna have to pitch on extra rest somewhere because they didn't do this sooner and that's not really their fault it's just you know this is really I mean they're, they're trying to win a division but like we can make the argument that like winning the division isn't isn't the best thing either. I think just having those two guys lined up is the most important thing at this point. Before we get into some of the hitting questions I have for you with the with the position players for the postseason and how it all sets up, uh, the the idea that Dunning and Cease will probably get to see the Twins in this upcoming week is that really an audition for them to decide who's the game three starter in the postseason, or do you think they already know who their game three starter is in the postseason? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how they would know. I mean, I think they'd like it to be Cease, but Cease, like, hasn't been good enough. And I know, like, you know, if you look at the record, the record's fine, the ERA's fine, but, like, he hasn't been fine. Like, he doesn't he doesn't miss enough bats. He doesn't strike anybody out. I asked Merck last week, and Scott Merkin basically, he gave me the impression, I know he gave a lot of people the impression to listen to that show, which is still available on demand. He gave me the impression that they, they have their guys, 
They kind of believe in them, and this is what they're running with. And so Edwin Encarnacion, even with his struggles this year, even if he struggles all the way to the postseason, likely is going to be sitting right there in your lineup, and you're going to be hoping that all of a sudden he turns it on in the postseason. Do you think that that's where they're going to go, and is that wise? Um, I think he's going to be there. I mean, if he hasn't been like DFA or something already, he's not going to be. I know he has a really good relationship with Eloy and some of the other guys. Um, you know, if you're not bringing up Andrew Vaughn, which it doesn't seem like they are, then yeah, I mean, Encarnacion's fine. Like, I think you can work around him, right? I mean, I, I think what you saw last night is probably what you're going to see. I mean, especially in a, in a playoff game one. Like, we don't know who the opponent is, but it's probably McCann catching Geo and then, you know, Grandall playing either DH or first. And I think you could make the argument that you should do that every day if you can. But Yeah, why, why not do that every day and have Zach Collins up? I don't. That's the one thing that I don't get. You could do that every day and have Collins be your emergency catcher just in case. McCann's kind of like he's been a part-time guy, and that's a whole big debate, like the McCann-Grandall thing. And I do think McCann ran out of steam a little bit last year and maybe they don't want to do that but they won't do it as much having them both in the same lineup um without collins up um because of the dh thing you know like well if one of them dhs you're going to lose your dh if one of them gets hurt but yeah i mean i think you can make the argument if mccann's still hitting like this mccann should replace encarnacion in the lineup regardless of you know where he plays maybe you have mccann catching grand all plays first and a brave dhs or, or vice versa but maybe McCann takes at bats from Encarnacion instead of taking them from Grandall here, like down the stretch a little bit. I, th- I think your team is is here. I, I don't think on the positional side, like we're we're gonna see somebody else magically. I mean, as much as like a lot of people would love to see Andrew Vaughn, like is Andrew Vaughn definitely gonna come up and like produce more than some of these guys? Like I I don't know. He never played above high A, so um, yeah, I think they go down with the ship a little bit. I think Encarnacion. Obviously hasn't been what he was, but he does still walk and he hits homers. So the variance in this sport is kind of like why we're, why we're talking the way we are. Like just not that I just like am anxious to get to the playoffs, but I mean, like anything can happen in three game series. Do you, are you surprised that Luis Robert is not even being considered, especially that Moncada has, has struggled this year. He's still weak following the COVID-19 contraction and he, he's been taken out of the two spot a few times. Are you surprised they don't try Robert there with protection behind him from Abreu or Grandal and, and see how he would, how, if he would thrive with that speed at the top of the lineup? It seems like they're very hesitant to use him up there, even though I don't think he's that. I, I, don't, I didn't see any indication that would make me afraid to put him up there. Yeah, I think it was just something where when he was up there, I thought he was like pretty much the same, but. You know, maybe they thought that he, the at-bats were worse when he was at one. So, they, I don't know. I, I really do think that they're just like, like Ricky likes to be very careful and like protect him. And he wants him down at like six or seven and just, you know, does what he does. And to try to make him less important, like in the first year. Look, I don't think two years from now, like if the White Sox have won like multiple division titles, like I don't think Luis Roberts, your seven hitter still, but they want to do this. I, I think that's fine. I think Moncada is like, uh, heating up a little bit here. It looks like he's he's a little bit back. He hit a few on the screws last night and played played a pretty good defensive game. So if you get him back, that's like the actual Mancada. That 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 would be 
pretty big because they're, I mean, they're full possession of first place right now and they basically haven't had their best player all season. So final thing, James, where do you think they go here in the postseason? Do you think they advance to the first round? Because Dave and I think that if they get a team like the Blue Jays, they match up well against them, but some of these other matchups make us very worried and we're not really sure they're going to even make it into round two because they're a young team. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on who they play, obviously, and that's a not a very good answer. But I actually think Oakland is a decent matchup for the White Sox because they have so many lefty starters. That's the one thing where, like, people can look at that. Like, Oakland's really, really good, right? But if they're going to throw Sean Manaya and Jesus Lozardo and they have Mike Miner too, like, I mean, maybe the mere – like presence of the White Sox getting off the bus or wherever they end up playing <laughs> makes makes them makes them throw Chris Bassett and Frankie Montes instead because they're right-handed. It's so hard to figure out right now, and and it, it could change so much over the next seventeen days. It really could. I mean, like yeah. there's so much that could happen. You're just kind of on a roller coaster right now. I want 162 next year. I want things to kind of slide back into more of a sense of normalcy. I I hate these short little seasons. They suck. Yeah, and I want to be in the ballpark for it, so that'll be good. Uh, me too. I want to be, I wish they would, well, I don't get it. I don't get why we can't put like, you know, 20 people a section out there. It'd be hysterical. Like get them nice and separated from each other. And, and then you could just zoom in on a section every time you got people celebrating. It'd be great. Little waitress service. Everybody wears their mask. I can go to a patio right now and do that. I, I should be able to do that outdoors at the ballpark, but that's just me on my, on my soapbox right now. Yeah, and you'd be able to yell to each other from section to section. It'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. From section to section like that place sucked. You're damn right it sucks. Yeah. Like and th- Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I miss I miss all the high fives from strangers this year. It's like one of those things yeah. that, I that I haven't gotten. I miss high fives from strangers. That's true. That's true. James Fox, thanks for joining me this week. I appreciate you jumping on. Future Socks. Also, uh, I, I want to make sure I say it right. It, you're doing it for uh, Sports Illustrated. Yeah, Southside Hit Pen at Sports Illustrated. We're at Sports Illustrated now, so yeah. James, thanks for joining us, buddy. Alrighty, thanks for having me. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.